the city council of Blaine gave me the responsibility of putting together a show to celebrate the 150th anniversary of Blaine. I took the whole history of the town and I squeezed it like a piece of fresh bread. I think the uh, one really important thing that I learned in working with Corky is that I do indeed have talent. My booby made a kishka. She made it big and fat. My Zeta took one look at it and said, I can't eat that. I have found here in Blaine a gold mine of talent. <laughs> I think Johnny would be so perfect, don't you? He could be the next Keanu Reeves. <laughs> We've got Ron and Sheila on board again. Midnight at the old Newcomer Alan Pearl. I have a very lazy eye, which these uh, prescription glasses help. Libby. I've been working here at the DQ for about. Um... And of course, Lloyd and I, it's like rams butting heads. Certainly, Corky has brought something to our little theatrical community. He's definitely. Um, different you know he can just do everything there is to do and there's only one other person in the world that can do that and that's barbara streisand i have a little announcement to make mort guffman is going to come from new york city and see our show we have one shot at this we've got one performance with mort guffman coming to town we need to hitch up our panties and run <laughs> need to see my face that's for sure same you here have, you do have a face for radio John. i do i know <laughs> that's what my grandmother would say you're <laughs> a handsome fellow though I, i'm lying <laughs> we're some good looking dudes i'm i'm not you guys no you are you guys are car- you guys are you carrying guys are. all the weight around here <laughs> this is all false <laughs> people know the truth i mean they've seen the posters mm that's uh, those accurate oh. depictions of us. Curtis is going to do a great one for this one. I can just feel it. For Goffman? Yeah. yeah. This one? What is yeah. this one, John? You still haven't said what it is? No, I haven't said. Uh, first I know of we all, haven't really gotten started. Yeah. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. We have finally done it. We've made it through 2020. Thank you to everybody for sticking around and, and uh, enjoying the show through the whole year. Uh, welcome back to Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brett Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And boy, we have a, we have a good one today, guys. We have a really great one. Excited. We sure do. Yeah. Should we, tell, should we tell the people what we're talking about? Why not? We're here. They're here. You know, we're all here together. Yeah. Enjoying each other's, uh, you know, virtual company. <laughs> I feel the unity. Hmm. <laughs> And we're back here in 2021 uh, at Recon Cinema Studios, and it's still a very quiet place here. It's just us on the studio lot, maintaining everything, you know, mm-hmm. taking out the trash, cleaning, sanitizing, uh, mm-hmm. making sure the projectors and the theater are still running. And right. we decided this week <laughs> to run one of our favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. 
with Christopher Guest's Waiting for Guffman. That, that oh. is high praise. Favorite <laughs> high movies praise. of all time. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing Waiting to Exhale? Uh, did you the, watch that one? We that's can, what I prepped for. That's what I, Oh. <laughs> and I mean, I always have the, the Ryan Reynolds movie Waiting in, the, in, in my hip pocket. But, <laughs> so we're doing Waiting... waiting I guess I can exhale. That's pretty, pretty close to waiting for Guffman, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can sort of fudge it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So waiting for Guffman's. That's waiting for Guffman's. Waiting waiting for for the Guffman's. Okay. One of the greatest movies of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Per John Diner. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to dedicate this show to to Brent, our our dear friend uh, Jenny, for introducing this film into i want to say we'll talk about it in a minute but i want to say most of our lives definitely yeah. mine so 100 must be dedicated to jennifer baney yeah okay jennifer so, o'neill jennifer o'neill there you go shout out to you um yeah so uh quickly if you guys uh, don't really remember the movie or if you haven't seen it uh it is about a it is a mockumentary that is about the town of blaine missouri and celebrating uh, in, or, in as a way of celebrating their sesquicentennial, which is their 150th anniversary, they put on a play celebrating the history of the town. And uh, directing that play is Corky St. Clair, played by Christopher Guest, who co-wrote, produced, and uh, directed the film. So, and it is the really the first of of his films gathering that whole cast of characters together, the Eugene Levies and the Catherine O'Hara's and Fred Willard's and, and all, that whole group that we're, we're going to get into. But uh, that's, that's the gist of the, uh, of the plot. When was, uh, when was the first time you guys, uh, David, we'll start with you because Brent and my <laughs> memories are going to be very similar. So <laughs> I have a feeling very similar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, David, when was the first time you, you heard about or saw the movie? I was aware of it, I, but I think the first time I ever saw it, I think it was probably summer of 99-ish. I can't quite put a finger on it, but it was something I uh, had to, it was something I, I knew I'd been wanting to see, and I think I rented it at some point. Because um, I remember then like quoting it uh, with to college friends in the next year, here and there, not like obsessively, but like I have memories of those moments, and I know I wasn't. I wasn't doing it before that year. So I just mm-hmm. sort of, uh, yeah, that's all I can really put on it. But yeah, no, I mean, it was just a, a slightly overdue uh, to see. But I mean, not, not that, you know, it wasn't that old of a movie um, at the time. So no, it was, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I knew I had to, to see it. Everyone was talking about it. I yeah. Think. Yeah. You watched a VHS copy, maybe, or is that on? I don't know. Uh, probably I mean, not on DVD at that. I don't point. think it was quite on DVD. I think I, yeah, I think it probably was a VHS rental. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. DVDs were not were not hot for me. Not right not hot in '99. Just kind of starting. Just kind of growing. It was getting I think, there. I want to say 2000 was the the year DVDs really just started really uh, coming out there. But yeah, it took a few years to 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 overtake. Uh, overtake vhs yeah um but uh, yeah no still yeah so yeah guffman baby yeah guffman that, that was my that was my attitude <laughs> <laughs> uh brent so we have very similar memories you t- you go first and then i'll follow up with mine 
Yeah, this was a hundred. This movie was a hundred percent not on my radar until college, for sure. And I'm I, after after you and I had a conversation earlier this week with some of our old CSF alumni. Uh, I'm almost positive that that Jen Bainey is the one that introduced me to this uh, movie as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it was watching it with you guys in college was kind of the first time it even entered the the brain matter for me. And uh, yeah, obviously after we saw it, uh, we watched it probably 150,000 times that year. Absolutely. Voted it frequently, lived it. (laughs) Even one of our teachers at College of Santa Fe looked an awful lot like Corky Sinclair. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, And so (laughs) I think we may have lived it a little bit. So yeah, definitely had to be at CSF. Um, Jen Bainey, Jennifer Bainey, Jennifer O'Neill, uh, all the names. She was the one that that uh, that introduced that to to me as well. I think, which I think is what you're going to probably say here. In a yeah, second. yeah. Not to steal your thunder, but I'm 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 confident that's where where this was introduced. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, yeah. So it. I remember the first time I remember seeing anything about it was in I believe it was Premier Magazine. I saw like a one page ad for it it was you know just the regular poster and it's like corky in that like schoolboy outfit from from uh nothing ever happens on mars uh and it was just like what the hell is this mm-hmm. uh, you know at, at the time we'll, we'll talk about christopher guest and where you know his upbringing and his his uh, where he is up to this point but i wasn't really familiar with him at the time in 96 97 or this would have been 97 so jenny like was the first one of our our group of CSF loonies to uh, to see the movie and was like made all of us watch it and then for some reason I was not present when every like the whole group watched it I don't know why I don't know where I was doing something <laughs> but uh, I ended up seeing it at the end of our freshman year so this would have been the spring of ninety eight uh, and it was it was like all the movies that the group saw that I missed out on, which I know was Boogie Nights and Guffman. Um, and I want to say one or two other things, but as I, I like everyone was leaving for the summer and I was packing up my room and just watching those while I was doing it. And I was just like, Whoa, with both of those movies and this one in particular, like what did I miss out on? Like, Holy, this is amazing. So then I went down this whole road of Christopher Gaston got the whole summer of 98 i was so into guffman and spinal tap like i went and bought the laser disc of spinal tap and got the uh the soundtrack you know the album i love that you were the one person keeping laser disc alive in <laughs> I was, 1998 <laughs> i was trying to keep it afloat as long as i could <laughs> but uh yeah just and then we were just like you said we were obsessed with the movie and and, you know, many of us had, a not myself, but many in our group and especially at our school had a, you know, theater background. And, you know, the more familiar you are with theater and specifically like small town theater and small town life, you Community could really, theater. yeah, yeah, you could really embrace this movie. So yes, <laughs> I think we all uh, felt attached to it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of like my, yeah, that's the part of my embrace of it was like 
understanding like the 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 theater creative type mentality um uh, that goes into that and just like how the the world of the of doing this this play was so important uh to them and all these and they're so all of the characters are all a little different and uh all have that same like dedication to it so i was just and just the yeah that 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 it's a very familiar feeling really to like to be honest like from all those characters yeah i think that's what's so one of the things that works so well with the movie is you know they the way christopher guest does his his comedies that they they take these characters very seriously you know they're not like that's what makes them so believable is that they're not playing them over the top they're not doing like jim carrey comedy where they they're just playing these characters there's so much humanity in all of them and that's where like a lot of the humor is it's just it's so like close to reality yeah Yeah. they're excellent at playing characters that are terrible at what they do but take it very seriously and think they're really really great at it yeah (laughs) and that's what one one of the things christopher guest has said about the movie is that you know they like they leave in you know they don't really rehearse they don't really there's no the dialogue is not scripted. It's, it's completely improv and they don't work it out together. So, you know, especially on this one, there's a lot of moments where Eugene Levy, especially like breaks character and has to like mm-hmm. move to the background while he just bursts out laughing and the rest of them keep going and, and they've kind of cut around it, but they've, they've talked about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so they leave in these, those small errors and, and that's what makes it, real or part of what makes it real yeah there's yeah. a sincerity to every uh, to the character there's the characters they've developed and like presenting them and so even if they do seem outrageous and whatever they're like they're very like grounded uh in the in the world of the, of the movie <laughs> and they because they I mean that's the thing because the characters are like kind of over the top like everyone's got their eccentricities in life but you know you don't necessarily you, you're meeting an ex- these are exaggerated versions of like little quirks and things like that, but they're played so sincerely, um, you know, without any hint of like self-awareness <laughs> that it's, uh, it's so much fun uh, to watch them. And that's, yeah, that's like, it's a, that's the hallmark of all his films. Like they're all very real, you know, to themselves, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into some of the other ones as well. Mm-hmm. But when, when this came or when we first saw this movie, Brent, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I certainly did. Felt like nobody, like we were the only ones who had discovered this gem. Like nobody else knew about this movie. It felt that way. I'm obviously that wasn't the case, but probably '98 is when people started started like coming around on it. I mean, it was a. We'll we'll talk about the release too. It was very small, so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I if it ever. I mean, I know that it was in the theaters, but I like it. Obviously, never registered uh, for me, and I don't think for for most movie going audiences at the time. Um, but yeah, when when we first saw it, it or were introduced to it, I, I agree. It definitely felt like we had discovered something because I it, I I had never really been a fan or really been aware of Spinal Tap. Like I, I didn't understand, like mockumentaries just in general hadn't really been something that I were on my radar or I was ever really a big fan of. And um, 
or at the time, I don't even know if they were really that big a thing. This is, this is kind of the first introduction to mockumentaries that I, that I remember. And then everything from this point was either going back and catching up on what had been done in the past, like in the case of Spinal Tap or, you know, moving forward, the other several projects that, that Christopher Guest has done after waiting for Guffman, you know, that, that came out that are also pretty damn hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I went home to New York that summer, this would happen several summers when I did that, but I would always come home with some kind of discovery to show everybody. Hmm. And this was, was that one for the summer of 98. Like nobody, nobody, we'll talk about Spinal Tap in more detail, but at the, in 98, like I, it wasn't really a topical movie, you know, it'd been so long since it, since it had come out, there wasn't really anything to keep it in every, every, anybody's mind. And then this one had such a small release that nobody knew about it. So uh, but it had such a huge impact. Um, we'll talk, let's, you know, let's talk about the kind of the history of, of mockumentaries. Cause like you said, at this point, there really weren't, it really wasn't a thing. I mean, there was a few that had happened, um, but really like there had been quite a big gap between Spinal Tap and this. Oh, absolutely. Spinal Tap came out in 84, you know, yeah. which is, you know, I'm old, but even at that, even in 84, I was too young to have seen, you know, it was rated R. It was not something that I would have, I would have seen no. at that time. You were going for Ghostbusters and then pretty yeah. soon Back to the Future and 100%. Temple of Doom and all that. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure looking... you've seen a lot of knife murders within two years of 1984. Uh, I, well, yeah. Based I on mean, all it, the stories it, you've told us. It's, it's changed, but that's the thing. My my obsession for films back when I was a kid were like horror sl slasher movies. They weren't comedies, you know? Like right. my parents had shit like Arthur laying around and Oh yeah. yeah. What is Bo Derrick's 10? I don't even know if that's a comedy. I still haven't seen that movie, but I mean like Cheech and Chong's up in smoke. Like those were the animal house. <laughs> like those are the films that yeah. my parents had. I was never interested in that because I had access to them, yeah, but yeah. I, because I had access to them, I didn't want to watch them. Right, so, right, right. so I was always looking for the stuff that I didn't have access to. My father hated horror movies. My mom liked the old horror movies. So she would let me see like Frankenstein or like when yeah. Salem's lot came out. Got yeah. it. So I was always hunting that down. Anyway, we're when not here to kid. talk about my history of horror movies, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. but I definitely missed Spinal Tap in 84. Oh, yeah. Wasn't on the radar, wasn't seeking it out, didn't know anything. As a matter of fact, at one point in my life, I joined Columbia House Music, which is like you could pay a penny and get like 37,000 CDs, which used to be what people listened to music on. And, uh, and, I got the soundtrack for This Is Spinal Tap and I was listening to it and I was like a heavy metal fan uh, and I didn't get it. I was like, what is this? Cause I had no idea that it was based on a comedy and it was yeah. this whole thing. I completely missed it. I was like, this is garbage. And it wasn't until years later when I saw the movie, I was like, <laughs> where it finally clicked. I'm like, oh, I'm a moron. Like That's this so is funny. hilarious. But yeah, if you just listen to the album, like it sounds like that's part of the the genius of of this is Spinal Tap is is that it sounds like you know that that rock music sounded like back then that if you're yeah. not paying attention to the lyrics that closely, I mean it's it's genius. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, 
And mockumentaries go back a little further than that. I mean, there, there's, if you kind of look into the history of mockumentaries, they go back into like the, the 60s and you could arguably say A Hard Day's Night is a mockumentary. It's, it's an early version of it. I mean, a mockumentary is, you know, deposing fictional events in the style of a documentary. So it's sort of like a, almost like a fake documentary. But right. I don't know if uh, mockumentary filmmakers and Christopher Guest, I don't know if they like to phrase it that way or call it that, but that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, pretty much always comedies. I mean, I think 95% of them are comedies. So um, I think the, the earliest ones that I can recall are the Ruddles and certain skits. The Ruddles is like, is an Eric Idle comedy that is the Ruddles is like a spoof on the Beatles. And it's very much like Spinal Tap. When did that come out? I've never, I've never, this is the first. I believe the Ruddles was like 79. Okay. And there's some skits in Monty Python's show, Flying Circus, that are done mockumentary style. So those are the first ones that I remember seeing uh, that were prior to Spinal Tap. Yeah. Well, and that would make sense because, I mean, Christopher Guest in, in a couple different interviews has mentioned, you know, that that he got a lot of his humor from, you know, the UK and, mm-hmm. and a lot of that British comedy. So, so I, if he was introduced to it through, um, you know, the Monty Python crew, you know, I could see where that could plant some seeds for, 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 these movies yeah absolutely but it was spinal tap that really was the was the first time it got popular was was when spinal tap came out and and that was rob reiner i think that was rob reiner's directorial debut and his transition from a tv actor and sort of you know tv hollywood royalty to like his own filmmaker and and he coins the phrase mockumentary you know in the opening of the movie um, as they follow this band called Spinal Tap on as they tour around the world and kind of the t- deterioration of their band. And um, it's the first time Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon and Harry Shearer all uh, work together on on camera. They've been friends and we'll talk about that shortly. But um, yeah, and then this became Christopher Guest's specialty. Uh, but, but Spinal Tap was, I think, a big pop culture thing, you know, when it came out and then it faded away. I think there were rights issues where I, I know that was a thing of, of who owned the movie and who could distribute it because it was, wasn't on video. Um, when I was working back at Suncoast, people would come in and look for it and try to order it and you couldn't even order it. So, yeah, really? um, yeah it was, it was not on video until I think early 98 and then it hit Laserdisc. Of course it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a couple years later it hit DVD and the, I can't remember, there's two, there was a Criterion Collection DVD and then a second one that came out. And in one of them, they do the audio commentary in character. Oh, yeah. So, so did they start, did they, so then did they release Spinal Tap on home video because of kind of the, the cult following that was brewing for, for Guffman or? I don't know if that, it just 
they finally figured out the the rights issues and were able to to get a distribution deal or it was because something was the something was brewing already with with uh guest and and guffman but um it was the timing all kind of happened around the same time got it hello how are you do you want to go to artford not live in this lo and that kind of thing and i'm i think i'm honing in on it pretty close now one thing that stands out about Christopher Guest's early mockumentaries is that there's no there's there's no interviewer. You never see you know it's it's interview style, but you never see anyone interviewing. You never see anyone asking the questions or hear them asking the questions. Not until for your consideration. That's when suddenly you start hearing an interviewer, which we'll talk about that. But that really took me out of that movie. It's a very subtle thing, but I think it made a huge difference. Let's talk about Christopher Guest personally though. So when was the, when was the first time you guys remember seeing him? Because I remember seeing him or, you know, I got into Saturday Night Live in like 89 and I remember seeing the 15th anniversary special. And in that show, they showed clips of him on SNL from the 84, yeah, 84, 85 season. And that was the first time I ever remember seeing him at all. What about you guys? Uh, I really couldn't say when Prin- the first Princess time. Bride, maybe? Yeah, that, that's probably it. I was going to say, like, I think that's got to be, like, the thing that stands out. But yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I probably saw that at the, the SNL 15, but I don't remember, uh, you know, I... I It'd probably be the only time I had seen it because I haven't seen a lot of the old season stuff, you know, a lot. So it's hard to find most of yeah. them. I mean, now so. it's on Peacock, but it was, it was uh, for forever. It's been really hard to find, and you know, I think Lauren Michaels kind of buried some of those seasons that he wasn't involved with. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's probably. Yeah, it w- it would have been that. It w- it would have definitely been Princess Bride. Yeah, I have to agree. Although. Until you mentioned it right now, I, I mean, I didn't even associate Christopher Guest with Princess Bride. I mean, yeah, I yeah. still think I still think Guffman is, Guff Guffman is probably where he became a kind of a household name for me. Someone who who I could, you know, if if you wanted to talk about Christopher Guest, I'd be like, okay, I can talk to you about Christopher. Oh Guest. yeah, yeah. But prior to that, yeah, I mean, obviously now, yeah, it's it's got to be. It's got to be Princess Bride because that was a huge movie from my childhood, but um, or probably from all of our childhoods. But uh, but yeah, it's got to be there. Yeah. Well, and you know that he's uh, he's British royalty, right? No, he, is he? He is. Yeah, he is. He is what? Uh, he's was, a lord. He, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. His <clears throat> he's uh, his name is actually Christopher Hayden Guest. Uh, but he yeah. dropped the Hayden part when he came to, uh, you know, gotten showbiz. So uh, he was the son of a British uh, UN diplomat who later became the fourth, fourth, uh, yeah, the fourth Baron Hayden guest, and then he became the fifth after that. So, and he actually served in Parliament from like ninety six to ninety nine, and then they started. You know, there's so many that got their titles uh, through, you know, their, uh, their family, you know, through the, her, through hereditary, hereditary, what is the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for? Like, 
anyway, they got passed down to them through their family. So uh, they kind of put the kibosh on that, that you couldn't, you could take the title, but you can't serve in parliament. You know, there was just like hundreds of people that just had no right being there. So, <laughs> so, his, so his dad served or yes. he served? Okay. No, his dad served. And then when he passed away, he took the title and then, okay he went there a few times and he talks he's spoken about how when he got there it's like everything's like circular so he got lost like all the time and they would make fun of him and you know he's just like i i don't think i should be here so um but yeah now uh he won't be he just keeps the title and um but he grew up in kind of splitting time between the UK and New York and uh, went to the uh, Tisch School of the of the Arts and, and graduated from there in 1971. And then quickly after that, he he hooked up with National Lampoons, and uh, he was a, a big part of that group. And uh, through the early 70s, and he's with Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray and Harold Ramis, and we talked a lot about that back in our National Lampoons vacation episode and our i think we mentioned in our caddyshack episode which you can check those out in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com uh but that was that was a huge time for him hooking up with those guys and you know working out i think what that's where he's kind of formulating his style uh very early in those days uh, he does the uh, National Lampoon's Radio Hour. He does National Lampoon's Lemmings, which were big shows that they put on um, mm. through the somewhere in the mid seventies. Uh, but uh, and then he then he ends up on like we were just mentioning on Saturday Night Live in the eighty four eighty five season, which is a really have you guys seen clips of that season? Have you seen a few, many of those? Yeah, yeah. The the only one I can think of was the that always stands out. It was the I don't I don't remember the game. It was the game show episode with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. with Billy Crystal was playing. Yeah, and Christopher Guest was on that one. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's one of my favorites from that that year. I remember we had like that episode on tape, and I remember watching that sketch a lot. Yeah, that was it's a really interesting season. If if you can if anybody gets Peacock and you can get it on the free version of it. Um, check that out because that was when Lauren Michaels was still gone from SNL and uh, it was run by another producer and Christopher Guest, uh, Harry Shearer, Martin Short and Billy Crystal like took over that show creatively for that year and they just dominate the entire season. They signed one year contracts so they and and in those contracts, I think they had some kind of creative control that they were, you know, if not the head writers had heavy editing involved involvement. So they dominated that show. And and there's uh, I don't know if you remember this skit. There's a skit where Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest play these kind of like doof security guards who are always talking about the like physical like. <laughs> the horrible physical things they do to each other, like shoving 
cans in their ears and it, it sound, I'm not describing it well, but it's Sounds really funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is though. Uh -huh. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the other day I took one of them, uh, meat thermometers. Yeah. <laughs> and I just shoved it into my ear, you know, as far as it could go, you know, but then I took one of them, uh, Ball hammers. Right. <laughs> and just whacked it a few times right in there. You Boy, know, that was smart. I know. I hate when that happens. But the biggest one that I remember was the, Synchronized. There's a there's a oh, yeah. pre-recorded synchronized swimming skit yeah. that uh, stars Christopher Guest as this coach and Martin Short and Harry Shearer as these synchronized swimmers who are going for the Olympics. And uh, Christopher Guest's character in that is very is like a very early version of Corky St. Clair. Mm. Um, maybe we'll maybe I'll post up a a link to that one if it hasn't if that it's still active on YouTube. That sketch always that that sketch always survived that era. That that always came up in like clip shows or something yeah. and and stuff like that. That's yeah. And uh, and I I think early on I was like, who is like it was Harry Shearer. I'm like, who is that guy? Like yeah. who? I don't know who that is, <laughs> but he's the star of like with Martin Short, who I knew very well. Like I didn't I didn't get it. I think as a kid, like in terms of like I I felt like I didn't know who that guy was. I felt like I hadn't seen him afterward. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hadn't understood who Harry Shearer was at the time. Absolutely. I mean, those both Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer really kind of like fade, not totally faded away because they were working for sure, but just weren't, didn't become the household names that Martin Short and Billy Crystal were. So right. when yeah. you saw, yeah, same thing with me, when I saw that skit, I'm like, this is really funny. I don't know who two of these three guys are, but, um, God, yeah, it's so funny. And then basically at the same time, they're doing Spinal Tap, or Spinal Tap was probably shot before they joined up on SNL. Uh, but th that was, uh, and that really like started the whole mockumentary thing that yeah. uh, from to what it is now. I mean, it, it's Spinal Tap was such a huge movie and we should have, have uh, our own episode just on, on that film. But uh, that was really the the beginning of everything and and it is more you know rob reiner was a huge part of that i mean he's the one who raised he raised the the financing for these guys to start writing the movie and getting them together and and figuring out you know realizing that they you can't the style of comedy that they wanted to do you can't just script it like you right. can't write that dialogue if you want it to feel natural I mean, if you look at Christopher Guest credits from like when Spinal Tap came out till Guffman, 90% of what he did was about his character from Spinal Tap. I mean, it's, yeah. it's bananas. It's, yeah. he, lived, he lived as Nigel Tufnell yep. for years until he kind of broke away from it with, with Guffman. Well, and that had such like, it had such an interesting reaction because it was so real that, you know, at first when Spinal Tap came out, it pissed off the whole rock community because they were like, how did like, how do they know this stuff? And they're just making fun of us. And then after a while, then they, they found the humor in it. And then it was like, they all had to have a copy of it, like on their tour buses and stuff. Yeah. But, Iron uh, Iron Maiden thought it was, they were making fun of them because of you know, this, this astrologist girlfriend who came in to, yeah. to ruin the, 
ruin the band or take over the band. They yeah. thought that that was directly them. They thought that their tour bus was bugged. Yeah, that's insane. So, yeah, that's, but that's how you know. Uh, Christopher Guest had also been really involved in folk music and had toured, which would come into play later with Mighty Wind. But he had toured with Arlo Guthrie and and just was was had a hand in the music world. So I think he knew that life very well, and they just. Sure they just captured it on film so accurately and the lyric that's where it started with the the depth of the lyrics of all of the songs i mean some are just like flat out funny like give me some money you know <laughs> but um you know hellhole big bottom uh sex farm like <laughs> mm. they're just uh they're amazing it's uh, stonehenge like they're all uh, the the depth of the humor in the lyrics is really incredible and i don't know if anyone's ever captured it as well as they've done it but there's there's plenty of good ones out there but sure um yeah but he you know and in england they became so popular that they would i think they toured there for a while and they were just like merchandise and selling the album just continuously and he would make all these appearances as nigel uh that they didn't even realize that he wasn't uh well i mean i guess he's partially british but not you know when he speaks he actually has an american accent and right so they were kind of blown away by that <laughs> yeah the, i i think as a kid i thought spinal tap was a real band for a little while um because of the music and the, the way people talked Absolutely. about it and then you know mockumentary it's didn't really have an idea of the concept, you know, and, and yeah, like you saw them more because didn't Spinal Tap show up on SNL, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Like, it's just so they, they were, it was an entity, like the, the band exists. Kinda. Well, yeah. I mean, they were, they were in documentaries that Metallica did. They, they showed up in Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Like yeah. Arsenio Hall, like Spinal Tap was its own, like, entity completely i and i to yeah. exactly david i i also thought that they were a real band I, the mockumentary aspect of it was completely lost on me at the time yeah same same i i thought they were a band as well and i really didn't pay much attention to them so you know and i hadn't seen the film so yeah it was just like oh that's that's not a real band <laughs> that's like that's a fake deal <laughs> right. it's a well, joke yeah. oh i'm such a fool <laughs> Well, just their design and everything too. Like it's such a perfect name for a band, like a rock band like that. And, uh, you know, the logo of it and just, you know, you just seems like that was just part because there was so many bands that like fit that mold back in the eighties. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. So like there probably would have been a real spinal tap, maybe never would have hit it big, but if they never did it on mockumentary, there definitely would have been like a, a hard rock band that was called spinal tap. Like, yeah. I'm sure of it. Well, their their songs are as good, you know, or close oh, yeah. to as some of those big bands. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, it's Harry, Harry Shearer and Michael McKeon are, and and Christopher Guest are just so smart about their songwriting, and it's like, and and in Christopher Guest movies, it's like that's, I mean, you don't have any songs, I guess, in Best in Show, right? But it's right. just like there's always this drive to go toward you know musical musically based things right you yeah know, mighty wins a whole it's just a big musical movie like yep. um and uh it was, it's fun but then and then you see that in this movie that we're supposed to be talking about 
waiting for Guffman. There's <laughs> yeah. like we're talking about Christopher Guest. So yeah, no, I know, no, but like six or seven musical numbers at least are you know are yeah. in that movie. Yeah, and then after this, you know, other than touring as as Nigel, you know, you see him in Princess Bride in a very small role. He's got this relationship with Rob Reiner where he he does appear in a lot of Rob's projects and uh what else he directed the big picture which i've never seen all the way through or at least i don't remember it with uh kevin bacon you guys seen that one no no yeah uh that's another one that just that movie is was very hard to find i think it's still very hard to find so uh maybe we'll, we'll track that down one day but um and then spinal tap releases another album in 94 uh which i, right. I oh boy i just uh oh it's called break like the wind so <laughs> and then a second movie called the return of spinal tap which really is not that great uh but break like the wind is is another great album there's a lot of uh <laughs> really good songs but that not as good as the first one but but right up there um what about the uh you guys remember the sports center the original this is sports center commercials like what do you mean the original like the well when they started because they started in 94 it was the um you know the mockumentary commercials that i think they still do to this day i always as i i had always thought or for a long time had thought that christopher guest must have directed those because those are so close to his style but in actuality those came out started coming out before waiting for guffman but i had i had remembered it reversed oh yeah Oh, I guess that's kind of like mockumentary style. Oh, totally is. Yeah. Yeah. It also I mean, makes me feel even older. Than I know, I right? Do. <laughs> yeah, those are always really good. I never really thought about them as like in the same vein as that. Just because it was just the, it's just the, the level, I guess the level of absurdity is, is identical. Like, why would that basketball player be in the cubicles of the offices? And, or why would right. that mascot be? running around right doing right stuff i never Very thought clever. of that as like christopher guestish if you look go go look him up on youtube there yeah it's I mean, I definitely in the vein of of spinal tap for sure so you yeah can, you can see that they're pulling from that and um i don't think you know those yeah. have no impact on christopher guest yeah. for doing guffman but like it's all in that kind of world and yeah. uh, i had just thought the remember the timeline in my head was different that Guffman had come out and that those were referencing Guffman but yeah those are really funny yeah uh but yeah then that leads to you know he was after he'd done the big picture um he really just was thinking about how much fun they had in making Spinal Tap and really wanted to basically get his friends together and do another movie in that kind of style and he and Eugene Levy went and wrote the script or what they use as a script for for the film that it is a an outline that goes through the plot and the general like this is kind of the beats of what happens but uh no dialogue written into it so yeah i mean well there's very few scenes that have dialogue written into them, right, right like right <clears throat> the majority of it is improv yeah yeah and they you know he's spoken about going into these scenes that he really just clears his head so that there's nothing in there so when they roll they can just it's a complete free flow and you can see it like you can see them him trying to shape 
you know, there's the scene between Corky and um, Bob Balaban's character where you can see that Bob is kind of not in agreement with where the creative direction that Corky's taking this play in, uh, this musical in. Why, you, do why are you whispering? I'm right here, you know? I don't oh, I'm to... sorry, do you want me to t talk louder? Because I, th I think that well, now it it's would too be- loud. And he tries to confront him in the gym in front of the class while they're rehearsing. And you can see in that, that if you watch Christopher Guest closely, that he's almost losing it. Because whatever he's throwing out at Bob Balaban, like Bob's not selling it. Like he's just <laughs> ro going right through it. And you can, he says in all the years they worked together, Bob Balvin cracked like twice and was both from Fred Willard. So no, no matter what they threw at him, he would just deadpan it. And, yeah. and you, Christopher Guest actually starts to kind of smirk a little bit in that scene. Oh, Fred, Fred Willard is so good in this movie. Yeah. Just re-watching I mean, it, him and Catherine O'Hara are, I'm sure we're going to go through the cast in Yeah, a second, well, let's talk I about them. I'm going to be glad to do the show on Broadway. And there'll probably be other offers, mm -hmm. keeping our fingers crossed. But I don't know. If the theater and the stage is for me, I mean, for one thing, there's an awful lot of memorizing of lines, and I think, and I think you know what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's always been the ultimate goal, Hollywood. So good, so amazing, and Fred Willard had been around a long time. I mean, there's an episode of Saturday Night Live that he hosted in '78, or I think '77, '78, and it's hilarious, and and he's just so funny and so good at improv that. Yeah you know, he can just fire out these jokes, you know, the dental jokes that oh, he's yeah. firing at. Throwing Dr. at Eugene Levy? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, yes. Dr. Pearl, the whole movie, you know, when they meet outside the auditions, it's like he says six jokes in a row. Yeah. Like yeah. one right after the other with no break. I mean, yeah. and those are just, that's just Fred. Like he, he just could do that. Yeah. He, oh man, he just, he plays that. I, it's not the theater mom, but it's got that theater mom vibe where it's just, you know, you you believe you have this talent that kind of skipped over you, but you're chasing it down and, and just overdoing everything is just so brilliant. I mean, it it is really, really well done in this movie. And uh, I, to think that everything in here is improv is just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. These guys are I so mean, talented. It's just so... It's genius. You know, they're, they're really, I don't know if I would say that they're at their creative peak, but this is absolutely some of their best work for sure. <laughs> you know? I was just thinking of the audition where he's like, Oh, you want me to move this tool back? You want me, you want me to strike, strike it? it? We've worked <laughs> on, we've worked on a couple of Corky's shows before. We, we know yeah. all the, we know all the lingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I say that all the time, strike it. Like anytime it. <laughs> someone asks me to move something, whatever, like, I, I throw that line out there, but yeah, they play uh, Ron, you know, Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara play Ron and Sheila Albertson, who are the town travel agents who have uh, been in several of Corky's plays, which were Barefoot in the Park and Backdraft. <laughs> <laughs> like of all the movies to throw out there as a play adaptation, Backdraft, interesting. Backdraft, yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. Uh, but yeah, they've got that kind of cocky attitude that they've they've done it. They're they're yeah. they're theater they're people. They're seasoned they, they're seasoned veterans. Yeah. They, yeah. And they're really like they're they know the they're, not, they're not that great. 
you know, this is this is again like the the wonder of small town, uh, you know, small town theater that yeah. community theater that people who have full time jobs and don't do this for a living step in and do it, and they're gonna have, you know, they're not necessarily gonna have the the quality level of a professionally trained person. So, and that's what you have here completely. Yeah, there's yeah. like in those in that community aspect, that small town aspect. There, there's still like people that have it, you know, like they are, like they've been the leads and they have that energy, but they're not necessarily talented, like or, you know, yeah. they're not they're not trained, you know. So they they there's a certain je ne sais quoi about their the way they perform and how they treat the craft and everything like that, and, you know. And, and you see <laughs> Fred and Catherine who you know, you could tell they take it very seriously, you know, what they do, but like they're, you know, they spend most of their time as travel agents who've literally never left this, left the town of no, yeah, yeah. Like, Just one time. Just, you just <laughs> want, it, I love, and I love that scene. Cause I feel like, I wonder if that was in the outline at all that like he left it one time or did they just, you know, just start the joke and then. No, know, the, 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 pe- the penis reduction surgery uh, yeah. was a was a storyline okay yeah that they they knew that was uh, gonna be in there but no specific okay. dialogue for that got it got it got it so uh, but yeah I just uh, yeah the, Fred Willard really knows he really knows they all know what they're doing so well like it's um, I, I don't want to say that they're the same in all the, the other movies but they 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 all play their strengths like all these all these folks who've work together in all these movies and TV shows um, they really just fall onto their own strengths and there's and they it's all it all works so well together um, so yeah like him him playing like the kind of he's kind of a numbskull <laughs> I don't know like but he's so but he's quick-witted and he's and he's um, I don't know he's pretty genuine and he's just kind of like he's kind of like a dad jokey kind of guy and that's like right. it seems like all of his characters are like that. Like, oh yeah, that's, sin- with that sincerity, it just all works so well with him. And, and there's so much. Like, it's almost every line that he says, yeah, is funny. Is really funny. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when he's telling, he's telling. I think Doctor Pearl later on that, like, if he doesn't know his line, just just say a line, even if it's from another show. <laughs> yes. Like, even that's from another genius. show. Yeah. And then there's a very subtle one that I only caught this last time watching it when they're um you know the play is like but halfway in and then they get word that that guffman or who they think is guffman is in the front row Mm -hmm. and then they all like have a reaction and if you listen to what they all say something at the same time but if you listen to what fred says he says should we start over (laughs) like just start the play over from the beginning (laughs) yeah just never mind the the rest of the audience yeah Yeah, exactly um but God, yeah, he's so he's so good, and all of them too. This was this was the beginning of a turning point for them, where you know their careers, all of them really took off after this. They had been on different trajectories. I mean, I don't know where Fred Willard was. I mean, I recognized him. I, I'm I know he had been in shows and done you know, but he wasn't a huge name. Um, he'd right. been around comedy for twenty years already. He was in Spinal Tap. Um, <clears throat> But Catherine O'Hara was the mom from Home Alone. She was uh, she was in Wyatt Earp. We talked about this last summer. Uh, she, you know, she was in After Hours. She was in, you know, a much more dramatic and Beetlejuice, of course. And yeah, um, she was the one that I most probably recognized out of all of them. And 
right. when I first saw this movie. Yeah, like, but you except, you you knew her from those, right? I knew her from those, and it was her and Parker Posey because Parker Posey at the time was like, you know, she was like an indie film darling. She oh, was yeah. in everything that was coming out at the time. So those were like the two biggest na- names, I think, for yeah. me. Uh, maybe you know, and but yeah, the rest of them. Yeah, yeah I got to me, know pretty well after. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine O'Hare and Eugene Levy, though, I knew so much from SCTV reruns. Like, right. That's, that's right. how I knew who Eugene Levy was. And, and, and just like this movie and, and the sketches he did there, and he knows how to play his, his, eye, his eyes and his eyebrows are always like these little clutch things that he leans on yeah. like, for humor. And uh, it, uh, it works so well uh, here, too. But, like the lazy eye that he does without the... Oh, genius. He... <laughs> But he, like I recognize, like he did a lot of that. Like a lot of his weirdo characters had like a lazy eye. I think in like sassy TV. No, probably not a lot. Probably like two. But it's like that he can just use his face so well. Um, because and he and but like the thing is, I ne- I can't really picture him not in a suit or or like a button down shirt. You know, like he's always kind of he's kind of a um, well-put-together guy, you know, just he, he dresses well. Or, well, uh, that would stay with him, you know, through the American Pie movies and then Shit's Creek, and he's always, he is always, like, guy in a suit, you know? Yeah, he just, yeah, he's not a casual kind of guy. You yeah. Know? He's, uh, uh, yeah, anyway. So. But he was, for me, he was, like, the guy from National Lampoon's Vacation and Armed and Dangerous, you know? Oh, yeah, Armed and Dangerous, yeah. Like, like he was that guy for me, and Parker Posey was, the, was in the... To me, was the girl from Dazed and Confused. Yeah. So, and then it's after this point, and Guffman is the start of it, where they go down this whole improv comedy world, which, yes, you, Levy and and Catherine O'Hara did have the SCTV background together, and think about how long that they've really been working together. It's, it's really incredible. Um, yeah. I vote for them for a Hollywood power couple, even though they're not a couple in real life at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, it's, it's interesting. And, and just to catch up on the plot a little bit, that quirky St. Clair played by Christopher Guest is casting a, you know, from a group of local, you know, local townspeople to be in this play, most of which don't have any theater experience. So you're kind of along for the ride of, of watching them stumble and really bad uh, musical theater and really bad choreography. And he's, you know, Corky acts as if he's been this Broadway and off-Broadway director, yet he lives in Blaine, Missouri, uh, for unknown reasons with the mysterious wife, Bonnie, who we never see. Right, yeah. (laughs) Who he buys most of her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and just as they prepare for this, uh, you know, grand uh, show to celebrate the town, and then they get word that uh, a a scout from Broadway is coming to to watch them and and re- give them a review. And their his hopes is that this is going to go well, and this show is going to move to Broadway, and that's his big dream and mm-hmm. i love like as soon the scene where they get the letter from uh robert oppenheimer or wh- whoever oppenheimer about telling them that that 
uh, Guffman's going to be coming to watch the play. Like he immediately thinks and tells the cast that they may be going to Broadway. This may be, yeah. <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> happening. That's yeah. quite an assumption. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the whole movie is filled with names and faces that we've seen in comedy, you know, become so familiar with. And this is very early in their career for some of them, like David Cross seeing oh, him. Yeah. I, you know, wow. I forgot that he's got a small role in this. And he's, it's weird to see him like almost with a full head of hair too. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I just like that the weather inside the crop circle is always the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 67 with 40% chance of rain. I mean, yeah. just the, what oh, a great, what a great line. And, uh, Let's see. Don Lake is the was the town historian. He's been in, I think, every single. Him and Fred Willard have been in the most uh, Christopher Guest projects. If you look yeah. at all of them, from you know all the way through mascots and you know, um, you know some of the other actors were not in those movies. But uh, so he's the town historian who originally was cast as the uh, high school principal. And they shot all these scenes with him that ended up completely getting cut out. Mm. And uh, so they, at the end, they added this character for him to be the town historian who actually kind of walks you through that history of Blaine, which is important because everything he's saying in the beginning of the movie is he kind of tells you about the stool boom and Blaine Fabin, like it's all what the play is. Mm -hmm. So it, it it is an important part that he plays and you really don't, see much of him again after the the beginning then you see him just in the audience at the at the play which when they originally shot the movie him in the audience was playing the character of the high school principal and uh, not the town historian didn't matter because right. no. you know and it all worked out but uh he's another great improv guy i remember seeing him a very small role in the first police academy and then he's in terminator 2 as like like one of the cops interrogating Linda Hamilton. And so it's like oh, weird yeah. where you see him pop up and then you're just, now you're just like, he's one of the ensemble from Christmas. Yeah. Cats. yeah. Um, Larry Miller oh, as Larry the, Miller. the mayor. He's <laughs> so good. So yeah. good. Uh, I remember seeing him do stand up in like 91 and he was, I, I like, I was on the floor laughing. And then, yeah. then I just never, I think I saw him in what nutty professor maybe. And then this. Hmm. Well, he shows up in other guest movies, right? Yeah, after this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I this, just mean yeah, between, yeah. you know, before oh, this. Between. Was, yeah, yeah. That was where yeah. I was familiar with him from. But yeah, then he becomes another one becomes part of the ensemble. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. Uh, Michael Hitchcock, David, isn't he a, a friend of yours? I, I you know, I met him. <laughs> I talked to him. <laughs> I worked with him a little bit. He's a good guy. Yeah. No, I knew that Corky could act and he could direct and he could produce, but who knew that he was going to act and sing and dance? You know, he can just do everything there is to do. And only other one, there's only one other person in the world that can do that, and that's Barbara Streisand. He is, I don't know, an inspiration to this town. That's, that's what he is. Uh, God, he's great in this. And, the, you know, he's, he's always interesting in these movies, this and, and Best in Show especially, where he yeah. looks like such an average guy, but mm-hmm. then you see this kind of, like, crazy character under the surface mm-hmm. yeah he really sells it i think he really sells it with his eyes like he's just the there's always something uh going on with with one of his characters yeah, yeah. and uh and it's just funny that he's 
like i mean the the main thing is like he just in this movie he just wishes he got he got a part in the show like that's his there's not a real darkness to him but like he's well that like, yeah. yeah well but i think that goes beyond that i mean he's got definitely some kind of obsession with corky also yeah 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 he's so happy with corky corky and, and applauding for him and everything yeah. so yeah the original end the original ending too is when they cut, you know, over the credits, they kind of like, where is everybody now? And you see Corky in New York. And then the last one is him in, uh, in bed in their apartment with, with Michael Hitchcock's character oh. in New York. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. But I don't think they actually shot that, but it was, it was in, it was in the script or their outline at least. Yeah. Well, and he he and his fellow council people in in the movie set, do a great job of setting the tone for the film early on in that opening scene where they're looking over the layout of how they're going to do the parade and yeah. you know they're like oh we need trash cans here and here and then they're like well what about the pie eating contest they're like oh we can't have a problem like that again yeah. we got to have shooters on the roof yeah. we need a rifleman yeah, here yeah. and a rifleman here is like yeah. what the hell what that's the... a that's a 90 degree right turn and yeah. just, you're like okay this is gonna be ridiculous. and no one re- the funny thing is no one reacts to it like oh well, yeah it's like so we, matter of fact like of yeah. course we're gonna have of course we have to do that. people with rifles on the top to <laughs> to you know contain whatever drama happens at the pie eating contest yeah um, I love seeing Brian Doyle Murray in this movie. He, you know, in the final cut, he really, he doesn't, he barely has any dialogue and he's only in the one scene, but, uh, you know, he goes way back with Christopher Guest, way back to the early seventies. So, uh, yeah. it was, it was cool to see him in that. I was a little bit surprised. I don't think he showed up in any other, uh, of the, of the Christopher Guest films after this. Hmm. I can't say for sure, but probably. Yeah, I don't off the top of my head. I don't think he's been in any, at least any of the big ones. But um, yeah, it would be cool to see him. Uh, maybe maybe on the next one, if they maybe. do another one. So maybe if they do another one. Yeah, um, yeah. Parker Posey, so fantastic in this movie, and she had no improv background at all. Right. So this was totally kind of a shot in the dark for her, and. Um, you know, all those, the audition scenes where we, which is really the first time we see a lot of these characters. I mean, I think we see them in the talking head portion a little bit prior to, but the first time you see what they can do, like she just, they all just came up with that. That was all, you know, Christopher Guest did not know what they had planned to do. He just knew, you know, each of them planned their own thing and they just went with it. And that's, that's the whole tone of the movie. And hers was uh, adorable (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she's so good at playing that sharp kind of character that here she's playing kind of the opposite of that and and it works works beautifully I really want to sort of make a healthy low-fat or non-fat healthy blizzard uh, who else? Bob Balaban, we talked about a little bit. Um, he was another, you know, and we talked about him briefly in Bob Roberts back in around mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, another, and isn't he in Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I think he's in that. He's, you know, another actor who you wouldn't know of as, as doing improv comedy, but so good at it here. 
Yeah, he's another one that's he's great in that audition scene, especially the Parker Posey parts. He's like enamored by her. You can tell just by watching his facial expressions, which is I find very hilarious. Yeah, and he's kind of like counter to Corky, you know, that they don't agree creatively and you see hints at it and, you know, throughout the film and it ends up going the direction it goes. But, uh, you know, he's got this underlying, there's a lot of great um, subplots going on in the movie. (laughs) And one of them is this jealousy that he has towards Corky and he's, you know, frustrated that he didn't get chosen as the director and he's just, the musical director. He's so quick to take over the musical too. When Corky's like, I'm not, he, when Corky leaves the, leaves the show. Cause he's yeah. not able to get funding from the council. Uh, Bob Bellman's like going in and telling the rest of the team, the rest of the show. Oh, you know, Corky's not going to be here. It's my show now. Like just <laughs> immediately. It's my yeah. show. Yeah. He just takes it over. It's mine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, his, like the way he just plays like buttoned up straight man kind of thing of, and very serious. He's a very serious guy, uh, all the time. But then like the, the emotion bleeds out in the performance. Like, like you said, like he's enamored by Parker Posey and then like he's jealous and he's, uh, and he takes over the show and you know, he's, and he's, or and you just see him, you just watch him react to Corky a lot. Like, and, uh, you know, he's just kind of this put upon guy. And, uh, yeah, I could, I can, I, I could totally see that. Like, he's one of the people that never breaks, like, cause he just can so hone in on, on his, yeah. like, serious character. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of the genius of the editing of, of these kinds of films and this one in particular that, none of those dramatic moments feel very over the top. Like there's no build to it, like in a traditional dramatic movie, it's all very, there's just so much subtlety to everything that a lot of it is done through tone of voice and through little looks that they give each other and, and uh, you know, or that they give off camera and that kind of thing. And just where the cuts happen that set the tone for those. Uh, And it's, it's so important. And a lot of it is, for Bob Balaban's character, I think is is really important of how they how they edit around him. Um, but um, yeah, then they they all immediately like leave and go go to Corky's apartment to convince him to come back, and you just see him in the bathtub. Like, yeah, they're like, "We're not going to have you. This is not your show." <laughs> He's immediately in a bubble bath, just staring off into the distance. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I can't put up with you people because you're bastard people. That's what you are. You're just bastard people. And I'm going home and I'm going to, I'm going to bite my pillow. It's what I'm going to do. Just because you brought it up, touching on the editing, you know, I read in one of the interviews that Christopher Guest had given that they had something like 60 hours of footage that they cut down to the 90 minutes just of of all this improv. I mean, the outtakes on that must be incredible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and there's actually a lot of deleted scenes that you can you can catch online or, or on yeah. the DVD too. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, they shoot a tremendous amount. That's one side of of doing improv like this is that you have to let it go. Like you have to like let it. It's all a flow. So you just want to roll the camera when the actors are doing their thing, uh, especially with these guys because they could go in any direction. Yeah, and a lot of it's single takes. I mean, they just do yeah. ten minute. They do ten minute takes where they just roll it, and they don't do 
multiple takes on things. They just take yeah. what they get and move on. Yeah. And then, you know, then he's shaping that he takes about a year and a half to edit all of his movies. Cause it's just, yeah. it's like clay, you know, it's not like you have the script to guide the scenes in the editing room. I mean, you're, the editor and the director are always going to shape it differently than it reads, but this is like so much weight is in post that you're shaping these scenes and cutting out entire characters and scenes. I mean, there's a lot in the deleted scenes. There's, um, a lot more to the uh, a lot more to the where are they now parts mm-hmm. like you see much more with Eugene Levy in Miami and Ron and Sheila in LA um, but there's um, there's two big musical numbers that were cut out and mm-hmm. so there's nothing ever happens in Blaine is mm-hmm. the you know precursor to nothing ever happens on Mars so it's like they do nothing ever happens in Blaine first, do other, you know, other parts of the play and then come back with nothing ever happens in Mars as a callback to, to Blaine. Um, but, you know, the tone of it doesn't work quite right. And maybe because it's not, it's, you know, you're just seeing the scene by itself and not edited how it normally would have been. But there's also another one called This Bulging River, um, which is pretty funny uh but it just it goes on way too long and, and it's just not as funny you know the, the lyrics aren't as funny and it's a little more dramatic than mm. comedy um if you if you play the movie all the way through though and you're like actually stay through the credits at the end of the credits they play nothing ever happens in blame so you can hear part of that in the movie oh, all right yeah well, you got to be um, economical about finding the humor and letting things lie. And then, uh, because the movie is only like 84 minutes long with credits, I think. Like, yeah, they, yeah. He, he, they just took the best and kept it, kept it economical yeah. and go to the next thing and go to the next thing. Because, yeah, you could sit there and watch a lot of them just kind of riff for hours. And I'm sure it's all really funny. And then, but you don't really have a movie there. You know, you got you to gotta get rid of it. Got to get rid of everything. So. If that's the if this is all the like the best stuff to create the, the cohesive movie, I mean the other stuff I'm sure is really good, but uh, you know I think all the right choices were made. Instead of like loving every bit of it and leaving as much in and making it like a two hour movie, like I don't know if that's entertaining necessarily. Oh yeah, entertaining. Yeah. So no, I, I think I think uh, I mean this is really for me personally. This is my favorite of the guest movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. partially because it's short and sweet and and it's just it doesn't um it doesn't lose you at all through it you know it, it's so funny the whole way through you know i want to see more but i'm glad he's not showing me more you know yeah, I, yeah. I love what they have here you know yeah, there i was, was gonna i was go ahead, gonna, sorry i was gonna i was thinking that sort of same thing between this and best in show those are probably i feel like the two where they're really at the top of their game like everything is just really well done the characters are really on point mm-hmm. um, uh, but i i only mentioned it because you brought it up but yeah I, I i agree with you i think this one's one of their best yeah and it's it's a really i i think what works for all of them but this one in particular this it's a simple cohesive story it's very straightforward. They're putting on a play celebrating the history of the town. We're told the history of the town and Blaine Fabin is this ridiculous character who <laughs> <laughs> who 
thought they had made it to, you know, from the East Coast to California, <laughs> but it's actually just Missouri, Missouri and it was the Mississippi River and they just decided to stop and stay there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We're good with this. Yeah. And the uh one of the other subplots that I just love is is um Dr. Pearl, Eugene Eugene Levy's eyesight and the glasses oh, and the lazy so, eye. So yeah, just great scene a great scene between him and and Corky where he's Corky tells him he's got to take his glasses off and then Dr. Pearl's reaction to it <laughs> uh but when they get to the play portion and you know he gets he like stumbles as he gets off the the horse and <laughs> and you see his eyes cross and uh Fred Willard did not know that was part of the story so he didn't know the eye gag was like a thing so when he delivered that line like what did your keen and perceptive eyes behold he like lost it after that like he, he walked <laughs> off and apparently like walked off for like 10 minutes and just, just couldn't get just it couldn't get it up. together yeah mm -hmm. and and levy did the same thing you know where the where they're auditioning um or the, well, the the first practice they have together, where they're they're doing those dance moves, and Corky like shows them what what to do. Like Levy just lost it, and he had to step away after that. And there's scenes where Levy's like in the background because he just couldn't hold it together. <laughs> uh, so so good. I love what the Fred Willard like repeating his jokes too. You know, in that scene where he like wraps up each girl in his scarf and then he goes to do it to to dr pearl and then stops and and then has to explain why that was funny and it's <laughs> just ugh. i could watch those guys all day floating like a vapor on the soft summer So how do you feel about the the Guffman um, sort of uh, what do you call that? The Guffman is the uh, not red herring, but the um, the MacGuffin. MacGuffin, yeah, that's the word. The Guffman MacGuffin. The Guffman MacGuffin. <laughs> how did, did you feel like that worked? Do you feel like that paid off? I think it's a good conceit, like calling the movie that. And, you know, he's just mentioned and they don't really obsess over him or talk about him when he's not there. It's only, you know, it's only his presence at the play where it matters. And the play is a big part of the movie. It's like the last like 25 minutes or something right. like that. Yeah. Or 30 minutes. But um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a good conceit to use him as sort of like the thing that's that's it's a motivation for everybody, uh, you know, in, a motivation for yeah for all the characters once they once they have it and it makes it, the possibilities that could, could could come from Guffman uh, and it makes the makes a few characters try to realize their dreams they all they all move on to something else uh, because of the play so yeah I think it's kind of neat yeah I think it's a nice little tongue in cheek nod to that whole idea yeah. Yeah, it's a good, uh, I think it works to keep the, you know, there's some kind of tension and a little bit of a dramatic arc there. Yeah. Um, I think it works really well. But uh, yeah, 
Oh, well, one other thing I want to, Catherine O'Hara too, when in this scene where they're at, uh, they're out to dinner, uh, the uh, Dr. Pearl and his wife and Ron and Sheila are out to dinner and she's drunk and they talk, <laughs> that's when the, the big reveal about the pe- Ron's penis reduction surgery. Yeah. She's just so, she's so good. I mean, she's so, she's just so funny at playing that. It's one of the more accurate drunk uh, representations that I've seen. <laughs> Sure. People talk like that when they're <laughs> when yeah. they've had a few few too many. The slurred uh, yeah. 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 yeah check they... some of our old episodes. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. <just kidding. laughs> yeah, the gloves are off, the guard is down, the walls the walls are crumbling. Yeah. Uh they apparently I don't know if they shot it or just had an idea that or you know that Christopher Guest wanted to do where you it cuts back to Ron uh, in high school on uh, at like a track meet where he's jumping over, you know, those dividers. And as he jumps over him <laughs> from his large penis, he knocks over each of the, uh, <laughs> each of the, uh, the stands. So, <laughs> but uh, that, that would have been, uh, that probably would have been funny. I, I, <laughs> I'd have bought that. Hmm. Because when Ron had his surgery, all right, all right, all when right. Ron had his surgery, I said, hey, circumcise it while you're at it. You know, just because I've never been with anyone else. Right, Ron's well, the only is... man I've been with. Well, what surgery uh, did he have? Nothing. Yeah, I had a little major... minor uh, corrective surgery. Oh, Can really? we have some coffee at this table, please? It's not minor anymore. <clears throat> Do you guys have a particular favorite of all the musical numbers? Oh. No. <laughs> Nothing stands out, David. They're all really good. No, I, I, I'm the type of person that's like, if there weren't musical numbers in it, I'm fine. (laughs) They're really good. They're funny. I musical stuff in, in things, uh, I don't pay attention to. I, I, I skip over the musical acts in Saturday night live. I don't care. (laughs) I just go right. Sure. But that's real. Well, these are, yeah, these are jokey, good jokey. Uh, you know, they're comedic songs but no i don't know uh no i don't know if i have a favorite the well they're they're written by so this is where it kind of circles back to spinal tap is that yeah. michael mckeon and harry shearer had stepped in and and written the yeah uh you know the music for for this this part of the film and i think michael mckeon wrote a penny for your thoughts uh with of course with christopher guest and uh harry shearer wrote stool boom yeah. <laughs> which uh you just the uh, same thing as spinal tap if you stop and just like look at the lyrics of these movies it's just comedy genius it's yeah. you know it's just so funny yet catchy that you know i can remember every one of these songs yeah. um i think you know i lean towards nothing ever happens in on mars and stool boom probably being my favorites what about you brent uh- I like Penny for your thoughts. There you go. <laughs> With the, his name's Armani in that part, <laughs> like his character's name. I just love that. Armani. I like, yeah, I mean, the songs are interesting though, because there's a level of sincerity, a level of absurdity, and a level of like not of un, not having any awareness or something i don't know and it, it i mean it fits with the, the style of the film and, and and christopher guest movies and these characters so yeah i mean uh, they're all really well done 
Yeah, they're all pretty good. I like yeah. covered wagons, open-toed <laughs> shoes. Like they're all yeah. they're all kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, they all they all serve a really great kind of purpose. So they're yeah. they're pretty good. Yeah. The uh, yeah, covered wagons is is Michael McKeon, Stool Booms, Harry Shearer, Penny for Your Thoughts is McKeon, Nothing Ever Happens on Mars is Shearer. Um, yeah, same thing with Nothing Ever Happens on Blaine as as was the three of them. Uh, it's just it's it's uh, fantastic work there. Another moment I love with with uh, President McKinley and the whistle stop tour that uh, creates the stool boom which is you know what made the town famous apparently and stool of course having the double entendre hmm. <laughs> um, apparently they wanted to put in the town where they shot it which brent was lockhart texas you know where that is no it's outside austin somewhere but is it yeah never been okay well that's that's where they shot Guffman, and they wanted to put a, a a big banner up in the town saying "Stool Capital of the, of the of the U.S." and they they wouldn't let them. It's like the it's like the town of Artesia in in New Mexico, which if you're not familiar, their uh, their economy is built around creating fertilizer, and so when you drive through that town on their sign coming in, um, it says Artesia the smell of success <laughs> the sweet smell of, su- of success at least it used to i don't know if the sign still says that but you can smell artesia from about 50 miles out and <laughs> yeah, it's not success yeah <laughs> well yeah the uh the stool boom which was what made blaine uh, a famous was just another uh, another little f- moment that i find hilarious in that play when mckinley stops and then they he you know has the dialogue with them and then they it's supposed to be like his train is pulling away but they just all like just back up from each other yeah they move backwards <laughs> it's so silly this backwards kind of shuffle <laughs> yeah <laughs> such like a low budge theater kind of kind of deal yeah <laughs> like you're gonna just have the train pull away <laughs> you didn't. Need, you didn't need the, the the waivers, the waving, the people waving back up <laughs> yeah, to create exactly. the illusion. It's so silly because, like, even the pieces of the set move to as if they're standing still and it's moving back. It's so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the you know the movie they they shot the movie in uh, I believe late ninety five, <laughs> early ninety six. It comes out January thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, but it only, I mean, it only comes out, it starts in three theaters and makes like 30 grand opening weekend. And then it's kind of in the art house uh, theater, wor- you know, movie theater world for almost all of 97. And at, at one point, the, the highest theater count that it's in is 64. So yeah. it, it never becomes a major release and, and stays that true like indie film Um I think the the budget was about four million, and they only brought in about two point nine. So mm. they, you know, on the theatrical run, they didn't make any money. But I'm sure, as it hit home video, and folks like us discovered the film throughout the late '90s into the early 2000s, and especially after Best in Show comes out, uh, there's 
a much more much bigger attraction to this so i'm sure this pulled in a lot more money on home video so by the end of the day i'm sure they've made their money back uh and and then some on this no doubt um yeah it had really like like we talked about in the beginning of the show a really uh, a cult-like following for this because you know, this comes out in 97. It sort of starts getting discovered in 98, uh, 99. And when is Best in Show? That doesn't come out till end of 2000, I think. Uh, I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that movie is a much bigger success. Of course, you know, you can tell it's a, a bit of a bigger budget as well. Um, but that is really where a lot of people feel like Best in Show is their favorite of his films. That's probably where I would come down on it, actually, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it's, uh, I think what you're, the only, they're, they're all like right there next to each other for me. Yeah. Um, I think Mighty Wind has the biggest sort of dramatic work. Like, I mm -hmm. think what Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara do in that movie and they're like, there's, it's beautiful. You know, their, their songs together and that storyline is uh, a much deeper level than, than usual for this. I just, I'm drawn to the, the, the theater element of Guffman. So I, I always lean towards that one just for that. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Having, having been a theater kid in high school, like this one definitely rings, rings a bell. Oh, totally. Yeah. But I think Best in Show is what made him much more popular because that had a bigger release. Like I, I remember going to, the, I think the AMC Theater in in Albuquerque to to watch that, and it was not sold out, but it was a pretty full theater. So yeah. that's a big indicator. That's a, a major theater chain, at least that they're in. And then Mighty Wind was an even bigger hit. So. Did we um, all go see go, uh, Best in Show together? I, I think we like did. I, I, I know we went as a big group, group down yeah. there. Um, you know who else was in this movie that we didn't talk about? Well, he got cut from the movie, but Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's right. For Better Call Saul. Yeah. Which, you know, for, for us, for us old timers, remember David Cross and Odenkirk from Mr. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. was coming out right around the same time. And even before that, he was on the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you can see him in the uh the audition scenes just waiting in line in some kind of like He's like in a vampire and, costume. A va yeah, 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 like That's Dracula right. or something, I don't know. <laughs> but uh and I think you can find his deleted scene of his audition, but Yeah. Yeah, so uh funny to see him uh basically whittled down to being an extra. Yeah. Um, did you guys see, okay, so Best in Show is very popular, Mighty Wind's very popular, and is nominated for an Oscar, I believe. Uh, what about For Your Consideration? Did you see that? I did. I was not necessarily a big fan. Sorry, David, not to... Go ahead. One of you. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I didn't really... It, it didn't leave a lasting impression. I don't think I really liked it that much. Yeah, same same thing with me. I one subtle difference in that was was that you see the interviewer, like I was saying earlier, and, and I think that that just took me out of the movie. Um, it was 
just a stylistic change that just really I, I don't think was needed and didn't work and um and I I want to give that one another view because I watched it and really did not like it I felt very disappointed by it compared to everything else and I don't know if you know the and and what he's done since then then was uh what was the show that he had on HBO it was um I forgot the name of it now, of course, but uh, uh, Christopher he had guessed a, it. Yeah, Christopher guessed it. Went one season on HBO, um, and it was just it was with that uh, Irish guy who was in Bridesmaids and Family Tree. Family Tree, yes. Oh, so right. he, oh, that yeah. was him. I didn't realize yeah, so he did that. Christopher Guest did Family Tree on HBO, and it just it, it wasn't it, again. It it didn't. It didn't work. It just didn't have the magic that uh, most of the other films had. And then follows that up with Mascots, which technically would be a sequel to Waiting for Guffman because it brings back the character of Corky St. Clair. I've never, yeah, I, I the, fun, the weird thing was when that show was coming out and the trailer for it on Netflix and, and I couldn't get into the idea of watching it. So I have never seen Mascots. It's, uh, again, it just doesn't, it feels like the luster is gone. You know, we, a lot of this stuff we've seen, we've seen these act, this same group of actors time and again with a couple of changes here and there. But, uh, you know, there's some funny moments, but it doesn't have the, it just doesn't have the magic of, of those first, you know, three or four films. So, um, you know, it's worth watching. It, it's great to see Quirky St. Clair again, but it's just those films and that show are not at the level of, of the other projects. So mm. I don't know if it's just, you know, and he hasn't done anything in the last few years, if he's kind of tapped out of, of doing that. I mean, yes, the plots change and the subject matter changes for each film, but you know, I, what else, uh, this is a common thing that I say on this show is that these, you know, these really gifted directors, how many truly great stories do they have in them that they're really emotionally connected to and can really yeah. deliver? Um, you can direct movies forever, but are they going to always be at that quality level? I don't know. So I'm not sure where, where, you know, they're all getting older, but clearly, you know, major success for Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara was Shit's Creek. I mean... Oh yeah, that was just it, it. It took a little bit for me to get into that show, but once I did, I was all in on it. And they're so good, and it's not quite as quite as improv heavy as these are. There's much more of a scripted element for sure, but um, they're just so good, and they just always are so good together. And this is. Um, this is, although they worked on SETV together, this is sort of the beginning of that marriage on screen for, you know, from basically 96, 97 through today. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And what a great, we're, we're yeah, I mean, they worked together for 40 years. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, if over the over forty years, you see them and stuff together, and yeah, if you can still if you if you can still work with someone after forty years, yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, they, they know and, each other comedically so well 
that they know how to play each other, play against each other so well in a scene. It really sells. I mean, you just see that in Shit's Creek all the time. I mean, they're just masters. Um, and I mean, they were always really good. So it's just, you know, it's really, it's a, just a, it's a treat for the audience. You're seeing really talented people do their best work together. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And now you've got the next generation coming in with Daniel Levy and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who's deeply involved creatively in that show and, and was a big part of that. So yeah. um, it's great to see them getting all the success and winning the Emmys that they won this year and uh, being such a big Guffman fan. It was, it was awesome to see them finally being recognized. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but what, you know, what... Um, do you feel like this film had what, what do you think its impact was in in you know film comedy uh you know it it makes of all the comedy film nerd lists you know like this is it's like spinal tap like i mean spinal tap probably makes that list more often and and at a higher rate you know at a higher level um but you know I, this movie's never discounted i think people i think this is still referenced and uh it's it's it is part of that it it this is you know those three i think it's the three movies that spinal tap this and best in show i think are the strongest um of 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 what they were doing together i mean no christopher just didn't do spot like didn't didn't direct it but like no but i mean it's creatively uh, his hand is in it yeah so so but like those are those are the movies that keep going in the the comedy realm um so yeah. And I think it opened the door for things like The Office and Parks and Rec and like television yeah. shows and, you know, that mockumentary style to, to be used there. Um, which, you know, like I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the US version of The Office uh, just because I had just finished the British version when that started airing and it was very similar at first. So I lost interest. Yeah. Um, but Parks yeah. and Rec, it's got to be in my top five, man. That show yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. One of my favorites. But um, definitely, you know, the, the the British office for sure is influenced by, mm, you know, mm-hmm. by Guffman and, and that Christopher Guest mockumentary style, which then turned around and, you know, gave birth to the American office, which gave birth to Parks and Rec and Modern Family. I mean, so yeah. those are yeah. three of the biggest comedy series, most successful comedy series of the last 15 years really owe a lot to Christopher Guest and that style. And, um, you know, they're all great on their own. Um, And not that they're like stealing anything from Christopher Guest, but it's really just, you can point back to Guffman and Spinal Tap as, as really opening that door and creating that avenue for them to, you know, use that style in such a successful way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in those three series you mentioned, American Office and Beyond, it's you know those are all very they're all heavily scripted. They they do get to play, but the it, it's it's finding comedy in a, in a whole new whole new way because you're you're eventually going to point the camera at the character and have them explain what they're doing or what they're thinking, and it's just a it's a little it's a little way to like open the door to understand those characters more. So it's a refinement of something, you know. It's 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 the style at its best. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, 
so yeah, open, yeah, Christopher Guest is definitely responsible sort of for opening the door and setting the tone. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you do something like this? And yeah, yeah, you can improv it the whole way, but those office scripts, I mean, no matter like they, all the actors always say it, everything you see on screen, it, it's all there. It's all on the page. Like they, they figured out how to do it on the page and uh, Parks and Rec is the same improv right. lines make it in, but it's uh, it's pretty astounding like that these talented writers don't have to write it in a traditional like just uh you know single cam structure yeah you know use the use the style to your advantage yeah Yeah. and i mean it it's you know like in all it also feeds into other you know it, it pumped energy into that style of filmmaking as well and features you know i mean sasha baron cohen has made a oh yeah career out of doing mockumentaries and yeah. you know there's pop star and what we do in the shadows is another one that is you know yeah. like with with the flight of the concord guys i mean or t uh what's a uh what what t- i can't pronounce his name taiki white thank white you TV? yeah yeah that's the guy so i think you know, i got I'm, it i probably didn't you got it better than i was gonna do <laughs> that's for damn sure yeah well, that birthed its own series which is well yeah. received by everybody so. yeah exactly um, so yeah, it's a whole. I'm mean, by this point, it's a whole genre. It's a whole like subgenre of comedy that yeah, you yeah. could, you know, if you go into a store like Video Tech or a, or a Suncoast, if if I know there's like one or two left, um, you could <laughs> take the DVDs and and Blu-rays and make a whole separate uh, subgenre of. Uh, yeah. And in fact, Video Tech does have a Christopher Guest section. So oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You know, you'll find almost heroes in there. You know, mm. let's n- let's not leave that one out. Um, let's not. That is uh, not a good movie. You know, I, I don't know what's next for Christopher Guest. Um, if if he's done doing the mockumentaries, um, he really hasn't had success with his traditional, straightforward, you know, comedies or dramas. Um, so I don't. I just wonder what he's gonna what he's gonna do next. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Maybe maybe just a break from the mockumentaries is needed, and, and maybe or maybe a fresh take with a new cast and not leaning so heavily. I mean, of course, we've lost Fred Willard, so um, you know he will not be in any further projects. But uh, you know, maybe getting some fresh. Uh, fresh people in there would be would be something that would work we'll have to we'll have to see what he comes up with yeah yeah keep, keep your eyes open for guests yeah uh guest watch 2021 there you go that's what we'll we'll update you daily on our social media platform <laughs> <laughs> i just hate you and i hate your ass face yeah so uh guffman what do we think what do we how many jack burton's are we going to uh Give it Jack Burton's is our scale from zero to thirteen of how much we, uh, how much we we love the film uh, today. Looking back on it, so uh, David, what do you think? How many Jack Burton's? Uh, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Boom. Nine and a half. That's good. Okay. Done. That's that's kind of in your your standard zone. I used to be in the sevens and eights. You know, yeah. m- more movies are getting the nines. So okay. you know, it it should be happy to get my nine and a half. Okay, Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nine and a half weeks, but nine and a half munchaks. Burtons. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Brent. What about you? 
I'm trying to think. I was my initial gut was eight point six, so I think I'm gonna go with eight point six. There you go. Wow, uh, you guys, I, I I thought it was gonna be higher for you. Uh, I know eight point six sounds low when I say it. That's why I'm like, well, that doesn't seem to give it justice. But I I think eight point six is good. I'm I'm actually fine with that. All right, all right, fair enough. I'm gonna go like twelve, twelve point five. All right, Whoa. way I up. Mean, geez, way I, up I, I like, I love it. I, I think. Um, that's like one of the top ones on your spreadsheet. It might you? be my top one so far. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check our our uh, on on the Burton meter. But um, yeah, it's uh, this is one of my favorite comedies of of all time. Oh. So I, I can just watch it over and over. Highly rewatchable. I find something new in it. I mean. Part of what's so great about these is that you can watch it again and don't watch who's talking. Like in those group scenes, you can watch the other actors, watch Catherine O'Hara and, and see just how, how great she is at reacting and the way she, you know, the way she reacts to everybody else. Um, they all do it. So it's just, there's something, there's still something new in it. And anytime you watch it, it's, uh, I just think it's, it's near perfect. All right. Clearly, I feel like yeah. I feel like Bainey's going to be mad at me that I said eight point six. Probably, probably you're going to get a phone call uh, as soon as we're done recording. I just yeah. texted her and said what you rated it. So I've got those three dots. You know, it's a long three dot. I'm waiting for the response. So. It's very long. <laughs> well, yeah. all right. But, we'll uh, see. This is uh, so. This is the first look at Christopher Guest. We've got a lot more uh, of him down down the road and coming up in our future. So we'll we'll definitely be looking at Spinal Tap. Uh, I feel like we just did show. like a Spinal Tap. It was like Spinal Tap and Guffman were done. And well, was... we we're talking about the <laughs> the lead up to the, what led to Guffman. So sure, yeah, um, yeah. But we'll be talking about more uh, about him more in the future and. Uh, We've got a, a, a fun lineup the rest of January here and, and into the late later portion of the winter um, here on Reconsinimation. But you can check out our, our social media accounts to stay up to date with what we're doing and our latest episodes. Of course, you can find us at Reconsinimation Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Friendster and uh, MySpace. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. And reverse order so <laughs> uh yeah and uh quick uh shout out uh to our friends ek wimmer for the theme music like usual check his podcast out laser graves it's always a fun time and curtis moore for the poster as well and uh yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be about it i think what i'm gonna do right now is i'm gonna fire up our uh, theater number seven and uh, just do a Christopher Guest mar marathon the rest of the day. So there you go. go right from the beginning and start with Spinal Tap and do everything that he's been in and directed through today. So It's going to be a lot of talking heads, man. <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, we will see you guys next time on Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now.
Where are we? How did we get here? Is this a dream? <gasps> Look, what is it? I don't know, it looks like one of them new feed storage bins. That ain't no feed storage bin. How did it get here? It must have flew. But it don't have any wings. But I guess it just dropped from somewhere up there. Citizens of Blaine, do not be alarmed. We will not harm you. We come in peace from a planet far, far away. A place we call Mars. I've heard of Mars. Where's that? Stand back, and your queries will be answered. <gasps> Look uh. out! What from us? Eh, hey, good question, Earthling. It seemed like it was time for a change. Time to take a trip to see the exciting places in the galaxy.